Good morning. Um, man, I love seeing those images from the last couple of years. Um, just to be, it's funny, even though they were just mostly Sunday gatherings, um, just to see the faces and even some of the faces of folks that have, have left and moved away, um, just to realize the, the thing that we're a part of, the, the thing that got, like this didn't exist three years ago. Like some of you never, ever had set foot in a church. Some of you hadn't in ages. Some of you have been baptized here and you thought there is no, I'm thinking of one person in particular, has said there is no effing way I will ever get up and get in a tub and do that thing that you weird Christians do. Yeah, I'm looking at you, brother. I think it's amazing that there are folks that have been able to have their rent paid for when they were struggling. I think it's really amazing, too, that there are folks that have struggled with being in relationship who've encountered cliques and hypocrisy and brokenness and fought through it and realized we're all broken and we've all got our things and it's really hard to do life together. And you've actually gotten a taste of doing life. Like, I love it. Like, warts and all. I'm just so excited. And I think part of that this week has been swept up in that wave. Um, I, had, I had an incredible... I wasn't able to really share much last Sunday. I was first Sunday I was back, but I was away for about a week and a half. The three kind of uh, retreats uh, slash conferences that I like to go to um, throughout the year all happened to land within two weeks of each other. So I was sort of away for a concentrated week and a half. And uh, it was just unbelievable some of the things that came up, some of the words that God spoke uh, for myself and what I believe for our, our community. Uh, and so coming off that, there was a real energy towards where we are going in my heart. Um, many of you who were at our retreat in the fall and have been at the team nights uh, know that a big emphasis that we want to focus on through the remaining of the year is spiritual gifts and understanding what that means. That we want to lean into uh, the verse that has been our, our, our central verse from the beginning in Habakkuk where the, the prophet cries out, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I've heard all the amazing things you've done. Renew them in our day and our time make them known. And that has been our sort of like call to arms. Uh, I've been thinking about even our fall series already because, you know, at this point my brain starts to wind a little bit down into like rest celebration mode. This is sort of an end of a year for a pastor. Uh, and then thinking about the fall and the series and the like, let's do this and, and the, what we're going to do this summer in terms of praying and, and preparing um, for a new season, maybe a new church plant coming in the next year. Um, just all sorts of stuff that's all go, go, go. And so um, I, this is really probably not interesting to many of you. I just want to give you a little context for where I'm about to go. I had my, my computer open and I literally pages and pages of stuff that I have been praying about, thinking about, studying. This is where we're gonna go. This is, and I'm like, what better day than an anniversary, right? To give my favorite kind of sermon, which is like, we are the church, let's do this. And I don't know what came over me. It could be that I'm playing like single dad and my wife's away for a couple of days and I'm absolutely exhausted. I've been like trying to keep my night owl schedule while waking up with a crying daughter at five o'clock in the morning. Um, or I'm hoping it's actually more the spirit of God. Um, usually I have clarity on that, but when I'm this tired, it's get a little confusing. I, I, I thought, I need to not talk about that. 
An anniversary, at least this year, should be a day where we stop and we celebrate. And I was just thinking that even in the wake of this series, even though this wasn't the plan, raising life in a culture of death, kind of building on what we talked about last week about being like excarnational is the propensity in our, in our world to be disembodied, to be disconnected, to be a living, breathing airport lounge. For those of you who missed it last week, you're like, what is he talking about? He's talking about being present and in the flesh and the need to be connected to one another. And I thought, maybe this week I just need to give a theology of the party. Maybe this week I need to give like a little bit of like, what is the biblical grounds for like freaking out and dancing and eating a lot? What is the biblical grounds for saying like, like I need to build a regular rhythm of, of Thanksgiving? So I was looking back at some of the things that we talked about when we first planted and a few passages came to light. And a few notes that I had had, I don't even remember whether I'd shared or not. This is like four years ago. And I, and I just yesterday afternoon and evening, I just said, God, I think you want me to talk about this. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's weirdly appropriate that we're going to hear, you know, music downstairs as I, as I talk. Um, so as you hear, you know, really good Dominican worship music, just think this is all the prop that Andrew set up. Um, the scriptures begin... Those of you who are brand new to the Bible, they begin uh, with this, this really fascinating, it's essentially kind of like a poem. It's this, it's this rhythmic piece that talks about the origins of who we are. It's true first and foremost because, not just because it happened, because it happens, because this is who we are. And it begins with God made the world good. And we talk about this, we kind of weave this through lots of sermons in our in our. In our, uh, in our life together is that some of you who have come from maybe a baggaged place of Christianity or some of you maybe even outside looking up in have picked up on this idea that the, the Christian worldview starts with sin and death. This world is awful. Believe in Jesus. You get to go to heaven. That's what we're doing here. Which raises all sorts of questions as like, why we even bother gathering, right? Did you pray the prayer? You good? Cool. I'll see you in 70 years. Like we come together to what? Like, and that theology that sometimes that understanding of the world can get subtly baked into things, even those of us who go, no, no, I know it's more than that. And so we talk a lot about the kingdom of God, about we're partnering with God and renewing all things. God cares about this earth. And, it, and that, that whole, all that, those ideas are grounded in a very central idea that the God made the world good. It's why people who aren't followers of Jesus can be really amazing people. We're all made in the image of God. It's why salsa, even if it's not branded born-again salsa, is super good. It's, right, it's, it's why, it's, I want to use my cigar and whiskey analogy because I keep using it every week, but someone came up to me and was like, Andrew, you're going to cause a lot of people to stumble if you keep talking about cigars and whiskey. Oh, but cigars and whiskeys are so good. <laughs> God made the world good. <laughs> Forget that. Be stronger. <laughs> Raise life. <laughs> so there are these commands in the Old Testament that many have argued they're all about essentially ordering life. They're about human flourishing. They're about what it means to live. There's 600 of them, actually, or a debate really on how many commands. And Jesus, a lot of the questions that Jesus gets, if, you, if you've read through the stories of Jesus, he's in this Jewish culture being asked all sorts of different questions about them. 
And I want to read some of these um, commands, these things that uh, the Torah was called like the way, the truth, and the life. Interesting that Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. This, this, it's the Old Testament. It's everything on the first part of the book if you've just picked up a Bible for the first time. It's hard sometimes to understand and make sense of. This was the, 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 the covenants and the laws, these first people, primal humanity. This is what it was to live with God. And, and so Deuteronomy is this book that kind of codifies a lot of these laws. And in Deuteronomy 6, we get a picture of some of these commands. If you have your Bibles open, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. These laws... These rules, these commands were given that you would have life. And in fact, the word you might want to highlight right down in your notes is the word enjoy. Is that the image that you have of why God says, hey, hey, do this, don't do this? It's that you would enjoy. Is that the perspective you have? Uh, Leviticus 23, which is another place where we get these lists. You get pictures, you get an outline of how do we live together in the ancient Near East. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, to Moses is coming down to to kind of outline, here's how we're going to do life together. And in particular, this is the feast calendar. Do you have a feast calendar? Do you have like a calendar like marked out like here's all the days we eat together and we feast? Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So when we have festivals together, they're sacred. So what is God like? He appoints these kinds of things. So in verse 3, if you're following along real quick, you have uh, Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is simply just taking a day. Verse 4, you have the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. In verse 9, you have the offering of like the first fruits of of your harvest. In verse 15, you have the festival of weeks. Uh, Verse 23, you have the festival of trumpets, a very loud festival. And in verse 26, you have the atonement. I want to read a little bit about the atonement in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Like the day in the ancient world, you never knew where you stood with the gods. And the, the atonement was actually, actually grace. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus. You could know that your sins were forgiven. Here, just do this and you would know that this God loves you and is for you. It's actually for ancient culture. This was an unbelievably progressive thing. The Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it's the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. Get this. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work. Don't do work. You will feast. And again, a reminder, these feasts aren't like potato salad and hot dogs. Like these are epic meals with lots of wine that actually has alcohol in it for my fundamentalists in the crowd. This is a rich and unbelievable time. It just, you could go to an Orthodox Jewish community and still follow many of these feasts and you will get a picture of what this was like. 
You would hike your family and friends singing psalms. You'd go up to a mountain. There'd be call and response. It'd be like mom going, hey, and everyone else go, ho. And it was amazing. This was not, let's get out of here by 8 o'clock. Do no work. You have Sabbath. Is this day in Jewish culture where you spend all week getting ready for? I had a friend um, who uh, was a part of a Christian stream that was very intense about the Sabbath. And they would um, get everything ready. So Sabbath went from, um, let me get this right, sundown Friday to Saturday night. Yes. Um, and so on Friday, after they get home from work, and they would scramble, clean the house, we got to run a couple errands, we got to make sure the food's all ready, we got to make sure everything's tidy, bills paid, stuff that most people do on their Sabbath, they were like hustling to get it done because they had to hurry up and rest. And when Sabbath came, whatever time they marked that on Friday night, it was okay. Well, they, there's actually a prayer welcoming in the spirit of the Sabbath. Long meals, telling stories. So in, in this section around the atonement, and you see this elsewhere, God says, if you insist on working during times I've commanded you to party, I'm going to kill you. Can I repeat that? God says, if you insist on working during times I've commanded you to party, I'm going to kill you. He's taking it very seriously, however you make sense of that, and we can have a separate. If you're like, actually, that sounds really harsh and bad. I can explain more to you later. We'll meet there. There's a rhythm to the life of these first people. God is saying, I've given you these commands that you would enjoy life. So stop, rest, enjoy, focus, worship. Align yourself with how things truly are. If you don't celebrate and reflect... I would just humbly submit to you, you are dying already. So this scary idea of God striking down or, or, or us not being attentive to the voice of God. So many people are like, I just want to hear God's voice. Guys, I heard God's voice like constantly last week. It's not mysterious so often. I mean, it's mysterious. I shouldn't say that. But sometimes we, we like heap up all this like I've got to get the equation just right and and we haven't actually sought God all week. We haven't been attentive. We haven't been awake. We haven't rested. We haven't reflected. We haven't been still. Or we've rested in the way that I often joke about. You know, we rest via like Mad Men and Netflix binge, which is restful, but it's not renewing in any way. And so we as people um, are surprised when we're not in communion and relationship with God and then we blame God because he's weird and far off and why should I have to? And all the while God's like, I can't get through all the noise. I command, stop. Stop. And if you're not, you understand these commands to these ancient cultures. It's like, if you're not stopping, you're dying already. The goodness of God wasn't abstract. The goodness of God wasn't like the goosebump I feel during worship. Like, amazing, great. How sweet, I trust that. Yes, God is good. Okay, sweet. I kind of feel euphoric for a minute. I'm not sure if it's Emily's cello playing or something, but it feels great. Cool, goodness. God is good. Isn't he good? No, the goodness of God was manifest also not just in like deliverance from bad situations. In fact, that wasn't always a guarantee. The goodness of God was, was incarnational. It was fleshly. It was, I've given you good things. I've given you all that can be given. There's so much good that you can need to reclaim. Dinner is good and dinner is spiritual. Food is good and music is good. And yes, these things, things can be warped 
and perverted, but we're a church, so we don't need to overemphasize the negative. We want to emphasize the life. And so we're to be a people who enjoy and recognize that actually every good gift, everything that is good and true and beautiful, we claim because we're followers of Jesus. We claim because this is God's good creation. There's not like a, a secular version of something. There's not a secular version of, of yeah, I'm going to use, never mind. The goodness of God wasn't abstract. Celebrating and affirming the goodness of God was central. This God commands us to party. The passage that Adam read, one generation will commend your works to another. Like one, someone commended their works. My, my parents, my dad came to Christ through the ministry of, of, of somebody he knew. He came to know Jesus at the end of high school. He went to college, started a ministry. He, 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 my dad's still, still alive and kicking, but he has commended his works to me the next generation. He's shown me the works of God. He's shown me what it is to walk with Jesus. He's shown me what it is to, to understand the love of God. He, he's, he's pointed forward. Someone did that for my dad. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. God's really, really, really good. One generation commends your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. What's God like? He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, and he's rich in love. It's not just your ability to party well, it's passing down this value to the next generation. It's acknowledging and seeing the goodness and majesty in your life, central to the life of God, is wonder, gratitude, awe, and beauty, and then passing it along. In other words, it's for everyone. Now, you could attribute all sorts of things to that text, the way in which God has cared for the poor, the way in which God is calling people to himself, but this would be one of those places where we are to pass down the life and beauty and awe and wonderance of God. So let me stop for a second. I have two questions on the screen for you. What conceptions of God were you handed? What conceptions of God were you given, were passed down to you? And were you taught about the God who parties well? Were you taught about the God who parties well? Were you taught about what God is like? Do you have a hard time hearing me right now? Because deep down you're like, yeah, okay, that's, that's fine. God likes a good meal, but let's really be honest. What conceptions of God were you handed? If you turn with me uh, to John 6.10, I want to take a look at, uh, at Jesus. I figured that was a good thing to do. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John uh, chapter 6. What does it mean to celebrate well, to take seriously the goodness of creation, that the Bible begins in Genesis 1? Jesus said, have the people, oh, I'm sorry, right before this, um, you, have, uh, you have the disciples who have gone out, and they're meeting now to feed the 5,000. And so Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and 5,000 men were there. 
Jesus then took loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Jesus, um, I just mentioned this really a bit, would have never like blessed his food. I think it's a really great practice to start your meal with giving thanks. That's great. But this idea of like, dear Lord, thank you, and we bless you for this food, um, would have been foreign to the world of Jesus because God said the earth is good, and I can't add any more to that. That the earth and its elements are actually good. That food comes from the earth. It can't be any more blessed than it already is. This is why, again, we don't put Christian labels on things. It's not helpful. Music is good. Labeling it Christian may be helpful to like know which like category and aisle to go to in the store. But it's not like Christian music and like not Christian. Like it's music and it's good and it's of God. People can use it for awful things, but it, it's you got that. It's what? Yeah, good. <laughs> I love you guys. What happens when you take something good and you exploit it? When you destroy it? So, so many times people end up like rejecting the whole thing. So often we go, hey, I, you know what? That's too, that's too scary. People, I've seen people use movies for the wrong kind of things. I'm not going to go to movies anymore. I don't think anyone in our community is like that. I don't think I'm like speak, speaking to like fundamentalist deep south or anything like that. I think if anything, we have the opposite problem where we tend to receive things that we shouldn't. We don't have a lens to go, actually, that's not life-giving. Actually, that thing is a perversion of the really good thing that God has, and we don't often know how to edit out. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. <coughs> this is Paul writing, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things caught things taught by evil. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. There will be some people that forbid people to marry and others to abstain from certain foods. Paul is really worked up. There are going to be people who are going to draw all sorts of laws and lines. And he says, they're going to tell people to abstain from certain things, to be overly religious and pious for all sorts of reasons that they've cooked up. He says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Nothing is to be rejected. Paul says, be wary of people who ask you to abstain for reasons that are not good and true and beautiful. We have to start here. That's why we reclaim the good. A paradigm we've talked about before a couple of years ago is reject, receive, redeem. When we look at the things of the world, when we look at whether it's music or food or ideas or film or stories, we go, what things need to be rejected because they are just so broken? Right? We've used the analogy of like pornography. You'd be hard-pressed to give me an argument of how we can like renew pornography. It is an ultimate perversion and it's become a thing that has actually made sex, which is something good and true and beautiful of God, made it absolutely just so broken and disgusting. It's killed something deep. So we reject. There's some things that need to be received. God made the world good and there's some stuff that's just good and it's just beautiful. So much in science and technology and medicine. The common grace of God needs to be just received. And then some things that are, have become distorted need to be redeemed. 
So, final big idea here. Uh, turn with me to Mark 6. Oh, thanks, man. Mark 6. Jesus, in this section, he sends out the 12. So these disciples, he's like, this, I, I want to give you a picture of what it looks like to go out and to serve and to bless. Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were their instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And if, you place, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oils and healed them. In another gospel, it says they went out and they announced that the kingdom of God is at hand. And they drove out and delivered people from the darkness. And if people didn't receive them, don't be annoying. Just wipe the dust off your feet and move on. It was this call for these first disciples. There's a lot going on here in the passage about hospitality. But basically, when we come to church, we're ready to receive. And this was the sermon I was going to give. And this is a good thing, to be on mission, to go. We are the church. This is a gathering, and it's supposed to be a sending place where in some ways you're encouraged, equipped, and then we go. You have a responsibility, if, you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, to be a force of love and renewal, to embody the way of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to call people home as repentance, as calling people to turn around. It's to be a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's to be a radical lover. We talked about it's like radicalized Christianity is people who are just so for other people. They, they, are, they are people of radical forgiveness and love. They are people who are welcoming people to enter into the this through all that they do. And so Jesus is, is saying, go, go, go. And this is so much about what we do. But then in verse 30, in verse 30, the disciples come back. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. They had gone out and demonstrated and announced the good news, and now they're back. And I'm going to debrief what's happened. Then because so many people were coming and going, so there's a ton of people around, and they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary, solitary place. This is one of those details in the text that you read over and you're like, cool, it was busy and loud, so they went somewhere else. This is like lines up with the whole Jesus gets up extra early to pray. This is the Jesus when there's a huge crowd and lots of ministry to do. Jesus changes course and gets out of the way. This is the go out and serve and love and bless and care for the people in your classes and care for your family and love those around you and serve and, when you, and make sure that there are rhythms that you return back to a place of sitting, of being still, of being aware and attentive to what's actually happening in your own heart and the heart of those around you. Following Jesus isn't always about work and serving. There are moments 
where we relax, detach, take stock, share stories, and work. It's why we get so hardcore about home groups. And that's not the only place to do it. But we go and we go and we go and we go. I'm too busy. Right? This moment where the crowd is all around us, a lot of us, and it's okay, let's be honest about it, are that crowd. There's some of us in the church that actually want to like do healthy ministry and keep going. And for some of us, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can't make, I mean, home groups, I mean, every other, even every other week, one night a week for an hour and a half with a bunch of other Christians, I mean, that's just too much. It's crazy. Do you know what kind of life I, I live? I'm a RISD student. I mean, I love you, and I know you work really hard. I know you do, and I know it's really hard. And it's a very interesting season of life. And I, if I could give anybody an asterisk, like a get-out-of-jail-free card, I'd give it to you guys, but I can't. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's a home group. I'm not trying to be legalistic about our system. But it means are there rhythms with other people that you are resting, enjoying, and doing life with that isn't just like, that isn't mindless, that is thoughtful and intentional? Do you talk to people about God at any point during the week other than Sunday? In fact, even here, you could show up, consume, turn around, go out, and have never really talked to anyone else engaged and asked questions. This is how we do healthy ministry. This is how we become actually missional. This is how we become the outpost of love in heaven that we're called to. I'm getting off track. There are moments commanded by God to stop. And so a closing thought would be their primary tasks as followers of Jesus. One of our central tasks is to party well. I don't know how much the church has to say to the world if we are not prepared to be people who, who are actually living the life of heaven. And the life of heaven is actually a banquet table. It's heaven coming down. The end of the scriptures, if you haven't read to the end, I'll give it away. Heaven comes down out of the clouds. It's this imagery that John gets of heaven crashing into earth. We're not going anywhere. The rapture's bad theology. This world, God is going to redeem, renew, and put back together. That's what the Bible says. And so th this is central then to how we understand how we do life. If you're here and you've just walked into church, if you're here and this is all like, like fantastical and strange, like just know that we actually affirm that this world is good, that God has given us a mission and a call, and that we're to actually live as if heaven is breaking in right now. That's why we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's why I say that every single week. That's why we talk about joining God in the renewal of all things every single week. That's why we understand our central role is to be about the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of heaven going forward. And so to live the life of heaven means even when things are awful, even when thinking of Sarah's Mother's Day prayer and things are really hard and we feel disconnected or this isn't going right or you have no idea the oppression I'm under or I can't pay my, even in the midst of pain and poverty and brokenness, the life of heaven takes over. It can begin to heal, restore. We can know that even as an outpost of heaven in the midst of a really broken world that God ultimately is going to put back together, that we can come together and embody the things that are most important. And so people who are the life of heaven, right? We should all be in diapers on clouds with harps. I mean, I always like make fun of that image like that's not really heaven. Let's like own that for a second. How sweet is that? I don't got to go to the bathroom. I got the diaper. I'm pretty much naked. I'm on a cloud. And I can play the harp. I would love to be able to play the harp. But the life of heaven, 
Right? We instinctively know if you are never like been around church at all, you know heaven, good. Good, people celebrate, no death, dying, crying. We can begin to embody that and let that take hold, the goodness of what God has done through Jesus, that we can live that sort of life. It's why, and I know this is so cliche, but in places of poverty, you see joy, celebration, and rest so much more. Right? It's the old, like, cliche picture of, like, man, I'm a really entitled English-speaking, white, wealthy person who went on a missions trip ready to, like, send joy. And it's like, no, you're sending resources. That's cool. You're helping maybe put systems together. But usually you're not bringing joy. Usually you walk in and you're like, why are all these people dancing? Why? You, do, do, you, do you understand how bad it is? Look, I have an iPhone. You don't have that. How can you be dancing? I mean, It's because so often, it's why the church has thrived and been places of passion and joy when it's actually oppressed and pushed down. It's why we sometimes as wealthy people, as people who have have a lot, need to actually work harder to embody this life of heaven and be people who actually slow down enough to celebrate, to give thanks. If anyone should lead our culture in telling the best stories and being the most creative, more committed to the feasts of biblical proportions, rest and reflecting and not being anxious and the longest meals and the most laughter, if anyone should be able to do this, it's followers of Jesus. And to do it in a way that isn't fake because we realize how broken and messed up the world actually is. We own that things are awful out there. Things are hurting, and in Jesus, he can put everything back together. And he is in and through me, and so I have reason to celebrate. I have no fear in death. One writer says this, uh, writer Brian Estrella, says, ultimately our gift to the world around us is hope. Not blind hope that pretends everything is fine and refuses to acknowledge how things are, but the kind of hope that comes from staring pain and suffering right in the eyes and refusing to believe that this is all there is. It is what we all need, hope, that comes not from going around, going around suffering, but from going through it. I am learning that the church has nothing to say to the world until it throws better parties. By this, I don't necessarily mean balloons and confetti and clowns who paint faces. I mean backyards and basements and porches. It is in the flow of real life and the places we live and move with the people we're on the journey with that we are reminded it is God's world and we are going to be okay. What does Jesus do almost as much as he teaches and heals? He eats and he celebrates with his friends. I thought of nothing better this morning than to remind us as a church that as we head out to the state house lawn, as we take some time with free vegan ice cream, that's going to be in heaven. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm not going anymore. As we spend time eating and, and talking with one another and, and playing and just resting and like, let, let's, like, make that more church than maybe this was today. Like, let, let, us, let us take hold of, of this call. Some of you need to rearrange the rhythms in your life, and it needs to start today. 
You have control over your calendar despite what you have been told. Do it. Like sit out there in the lawn for a second before you go out. Uh, maybe it would be a, such a blessing. I'll see like 50 people like on their phones rearranging their calendar before they come over. And go, I need this. I need to put a break in here. I need a Sabbath. I need a day I turn my phone off. I need to get together with two or three friends. I actually need to do what I said I would do and join a home group and just have a meal with people and talk about the things of Jesus. I'm actually, I'm just, I'm dying on the vine here. I have no rejoicing in my life because I'm isolated and I'm by myself and I am introverted and so I hate other people but it's actually the thing I know that I need but oh my gosh, I don't want to go through that struggle and then, and then after you schedule it, turn it off and put it in your pocket and then go play. I don't know, some of you have Mother's Day brunch plans and all that. I'm not being legalistic about going to the lawn. But let's be serious about this. Let's just not like affirm and, oh man, that's encouraging, cool. Yeah, God cares about partying. Like, this is critical. For those of you who have a passion for the poor, this is critical. That you are stopping, resting, talking with others, being refilled, being blessed in that way. Those of you who have no funds, like you need to have like a microwave ramen party with your friends, like do it. Stop and rest. You're that one dorm that every, you know, Saturday morning has breakfast together. Just to the meal, you can tell a lot about a church about who they eat with. Who are you eating with? Who are you resting with? Don't let this moment pass. So, speaking of meals, this one, this is uh, one that Jesus gives us, and he says to take this meal in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the life giver, in remembrance of the God of forgiveness and of love. Remembrance of the God who is reconciling all things to himself. And so the bread is a, is a, is a picture of his body. Something mysterious about this bread. Then when we dip it in the, in the wine, an image of his blood. It's celebrating in a, in a, in a sacrifice. And the ultimate, most beautiful act of love that the world has ever seen. The God of the universe coming and showing himself, enduring everything that we have endured. Recognizing and owning the pain that you're in right now and even more so. He says, I know what it's like. Know that your sins are forgiven and the sins of your enemy are forgiven if they would only choose who, to accept who I am. And that in me there is a new world breaking forth in, in the midst of this one that I can trust that my identity now lies only in Jesus, that I have no more fear in death, and so I can begin the party now, even in the wake of the pain and uncertainty, because my marching orders and calling are to follow Jesus before they are to be a good blank, before they are to do this, accomplish this, have this happen, because my marching orders are to live and embody the life of heaven and following Jesus and serving the world around me. And he calls them to a meal to remember this. Come, come, come sit with me. 
And, and remember, as you take the bread, this good thing, and you dip it in the wine, this good, this good thing, remember. Remember what I'm about to do, Jesus says. Remember. And so we come. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've gone, I, I would love to follow this guy. He seems worth following. If you'd love to take a moment and, 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 and repent, which is just turning around and saying, God, I, I recognize that there's all sorts of brokenness in my own heart and the lives around me, and I want to trust that you love me, have forgiven me, have set me free. I want, I want to trust that. I have a million questions, but I want to trust that something's stirring in my heart. And let this be a moment as you come forward where you, where, you say, where you actually say that. Let this be a moment of going, I'm beginning this journey. And would you go and pray and just share with some of the folks over here. If you're here and your schedule is a wreck and you are just falling apart and, and because there's, there's, you can't imagine any bandwidth to celebrate because everything is falling apart. There's some people who would love to pray for you. And let this be a time where we can be prayed for. And for the rest of us, as we take the bread and dip it in the wine, may we take hold of the sacred mystery of this moment, of the God who is with us, in us, making all things new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your commands of life. Thank you that you are the God of the party. Thank you that you are the God who is raising life, that is planting flowers in the cracks of the pavement. Thank you, Lord. You are making all things new. I pray that this moment is sacred. As we give thanks for what you've done in our church, so we give thanks, Lord, for what you will do in our church and in our city. In your name we pray. Amen.